Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, your favorite TikToker's favorite drummer. It's Benny Horowitz. Yeah, What's not up? yet. Not Dude. yet. Did you see that? Travis Barker keeps getting these great gigs. Where, where, how does he get in the Rolodex of all these really successful young kids? Well, I think, I think, how does that happen? Do I have to move to LA? Oh, Benny, you're a happily married man, and I think he's dating a Kardashian now. Oh, uh, so I think that so, instantly. Right. <laughs> so, has Travis just opened up to a world that I, I just know nothing of at this point? Like, yeah, real upscale LA Calabasas kind of stuff yeah. going on. Yeah. All right. Unless well, I'll, I'll stick around here. <laughs> Unless you and me move the family out there and we just do a content house in Encino and then we just kind of circumnavigate the game that way. I got to tell you, Danny, <laughs> breaking news here in the tune up. Mm. I have recently done some Travis Barker type gigs. Mm. So you might be seeing some some tracks featuring Benny Horowitz on drums fairly soon. Do you want to reveal or should we? Let it play out. A no, little you while gotta more. let it play out. Okay, that, okay. That's about that is the most I'll ever say. So an appearance. <laughs> let's just say the uh, the SAG after union healthcare gonna yeah keep being up for a couple more years. Let's just say someone much younger and much hipper than me employed my services to play drums, <laughs> and uh, yeah, your your big mustached chubby uncle might be in some some funky <laughs> funny videos soon and younger than me i might add <laughs> anyway uh you know we've 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 touched on benny's career but a lot happens each and every day in music history so that what better way to wrap it up than this day with music history <laughs> with music history i'm music history no benny what do you got <laughs> So this was pretty funny. And this this day in 1976, uh, a very in, uh, famous incident of wall jumping occurred mm. by one Bruce Springsteen, mm. who apparently jumped the wall at Graceland, <laughs> rushed to Elvis's house and tried to knock on the front door. Wow. So apparently he was on the uh, he was on the Born to Run tour. He got he got uh, driven there and almost made it. And uh, they told him that Elvis was in Lake Tahoe, which <laughs> apparently was true. <laughs> they actually didn't manhandle him, really told him what we where he was, which was kind of a Chris Farley situation. Yeah. And then he took off like they politely escorted him out. So at first I'm like, oh, this must be a crazy story. But then I found some concert footage of Bruce in 1985, actually confirming and giving the details to this story. Wow. So. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to try the Bruce voice because that's just I will, I'll end up sounding like Christian Bale's Batman if I do that. But he said uh, on stage in the concert, he's like back in 75 in the Born to Run tour. A little bit of history for you. We were down in Memphis. It was a late night. I was sitting in a motel room. Me and my guitar player, Steve, we got a taxi out to Elvis's house. It's a long story, but basically he says he saw a light on in the second floor and just just assumed it was like Elvis there reading and was using his new uh, born to run gumption. I guess he had, he thought he was enough of a figure that if he just made it to the front door, Elvis would let him in and you know, something would happen. Jam session, drink tea. I don't know what he was expecting uh, 
fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But yeah, this actually happened, and uh, he made it to the uh, to the door, and they nicely escorted uh, Bruce Springsteen and uh, back out to Steve and took a taxi back to his hotel. That is one heck of a heat check, Benny. I gotta follow up with the question: What is your biggest heat check? Maybe height of 59 sound, 45 on like the radio. What's like the, all right, let me see what kind of muscles I got here. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. I'm really, really, really bad at that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'll actually, here, I'll tell you a story that highlights how bad I am at it. Okay. Let's hear Um, At Yankee Stadium, <laughs> my boy, I think my brother, my boy, Mike Greenstein, formerly of Greeny and the Cheese, sports radio <laughs> show. And we're at the Hard Rack Cafe. This is, I oh. think, maybe the first year or two of, like, mm-hmm. the new stadium. And we're at the Hard Rock. My my meal at the Hard Rock Cafe is always give me the veggie burger, sub it on to here, you know? Mm-hmm. And the people at the stadium tell me that uh, uh, we're too busy. We can't do that right now. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't make a stink about it. I order just some fries or something. I have no idea. Not a vegetarian-friendly establishment. No. And we look down and we see a coaster that is uh, promoting hard rock calling with Gaslight Anthem literally on the coaster. So I'm eating at hard rock, my iced tea or my beer. I'm a Yankee stadium. It's probably a beer like is on this coaster. And he's like, dude, he's like, you're on the coaster, like right in front of they're handing a hundred to like, say something, get your veggie burger, you know? And I'm like, Nah, like whatever. Just I'll eat some fries. Like I don't care. So that's a highlight of like how the opposite of rushing the Graceland doors I am is that <laughs> the only gumption I maybe had was like walking up and meeting people every once in a while. Yeah, you oh, know, man. which which often leaves you flat. The coolest yeah. one was maybe Zach De La Roca. He was so nice. Oh. It's the nice ones that always get you. Like that guy was a fucking asshole. That one that are normally the best stories to tell. But man, Hard Rock Cafe, what an interesting place. Because apparently, in the eighties, the Hard Rock in L.A. was like an actual celebrity hangout, which blows my mind. Like like people like like Rob Lowe <laughs> right. would go to like the L.A. Hard Rock to just hang yeah. out. I'm like, that's wild to me. That was the Planet Hollywood days. Yeah, Sly Stallone. Wearing their leather bomber jackets, <laughs> like still cruising around. Yeah, that was still when the Hollywood thing was going on. Now yeah. it's like, uh, now it's like eighteen dollar avocado restaurants <laughs> and like in Echo Park and stuff. You know. All right, Benny. Well, I got a fun this day in music history. On this day in two thousand five, the Dave Matthews Band agreed to pay two hundred thousand dollars against their uh, after their tour bus dumped human waste on a boatload <laughs> of tourists in Chicago. Yeah, I remember in that. In August two thousand four, their bus driver was alone on board the bus at the time when the sewage was dumped. He was fined ten grand, and the band already donated a hundred thousand to two groups that helped protect the Chicago River surrounding the area. Uh, the Dave Matthews Band offered their quote-unquote deepest apologies to more than 100 boat passengers who were on the architectural tour. Have you ever taken that architectural tour in Chicago? I haven't. I have, like, cruised, like, the Chicago River system. Yeah. I mean, it's quite cool. Yeah. But, no, I never did a tour. Oh, man. But Dave Matthews Band. Oh, man. There's... So let me say something here, okay, about this day in music. This is something I got a lot of experience with. Yeah. Okay, I do. Using the bathroom on a bus (laughs) is a thing. And the thing that always 
stood out to me about this story was, of course, it was bad form over a river, obviously. Very stupid. I believe there is also feces, which is usually rule number one on a tour bus is like, don't shit. Yeah. Like, like just don't. You pull over to shit because it's unmanageable if you do. So that's bad. But I got to say, I mean, I toured on buses for years and years and years. And the amount of times I saw a bus driver properly dump the tanks of the bus, I don't know, less than 10%. And they didn't do it on bridges, but they did it on the sides of roads. And basically, like, don't touch the ground anywhere on the shoulders of a highway because it's probably <laughs> covered and like your favorite guitar player's pissed um, because this happens extensively all the time. I actually once lost a wedding ring in it. How did your wife respond to this? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was so scared <laughs> to tell her, but she was very cool. And I guess it's the upside to being like as just silly of a person as I am. She, it was just her utter lack of surprise, you know, but basically is the end of the night. I had a big blister on my finger. So I was holding my ring kind of like this, you mm. know, and I'm peeing before I'm about to go to sleep on the bus. It slides off, falls in the bus toilet, flushes down, and my wedding ring goes into the bus toilet system. Oh. And there is subsequently like, this is a story that could take an hour right now. <laughs> but there was a, a redneck bus driver. There was a uh, sort of upscale tour manager. There was uh, searching for uh, a ring with flashlights in puddles of piss on the side of a highway in Canada. Um, it, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty wild time. But the ring never turned up. I believe it went to a pawn shop somewhere in Nashville <laughs> by said redneck bus driver. I'm excited to make the eight-part docu-series about this ring where, where we really do the oral history of Benny Horowitz losing his I ring know. in Canada. This is, this is the oral history of me not being smart. This is ring number three. I'm not that old. <laughs> All right, Benny, on Wednesday, photographer Jesse Froman launched a website to auction off a NFT with more than 100 pictures from the last photo shoot uh, with Kurt Cobain uh, a month before he tragically passed away. The NFT features multiple contact sheets and negatives that have never been developed or scanned prior to this content creation drop. A portion of the proceeds go to the Jed Foundation, a nonprofit focused on suicide prevention uh, and the promotion of the mental well-being among teens in America. Uh, the Cobain estate and living members of Nirvana are fully aware of the project but are not actively involved. That's interesting to me. So, Benny, a lot of layers here, but how do you feel about um, this photographer pretty much cashing in? Uh, very much cashing in. So first off, let me just establish this. We're talking about negatives. We're talking about contact sheets. Yeah. The person who purchases this still is not going to hold the negatives or the contact sheets, right? Like, no. is it just the idea that now if this image is used in its likeness, like this person who buys the NFT could sue? Like, is that, like, what kind of no. priority they have over the photo? No, so it's it's going to be developed. Like, these un, like these previously unseen negatives are going to be developed and created into this digital non-fungible token. 
So it's like ne- right. So, but Jesse Froman still at his house has a hundred negatives and contact sheets and all the physical hard aspects are still in his possession. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, right? About mm-hmm. like what we're determining value on. And like, if and when the shit hits the fan, what's actually going to be worth money? Like, mm. is his pile of negatives physically sitting in front of him going to be worth money? Or is like a digital receipt that you purchase something that kind of only exists online? Like, I, I don't know. That, that aspect of this is almost starting to get into like a philosophical conversation about what's real, right. what's not, what has value, what doesn't. Like, and that aspect of it is a little bigger than me, and I'm really just starting to get my head around, honestly. Mm. Um, but specifically with this, I kind of just want to start by saying, uh, yuck. Hmm. It all feels gross. I don't like the way it's happening. They're starting the bids at 27-27 in some kind of honor of the year he died. This fucking guy. And then he's quoted the the photographer saying that the NFTs bring a different life to the images in quotes. I think of Kurt, especially as an idol, sort of hero for the crypto world. They love to buck the system. To me, that's what Kurt was. He was very anti-establishment and outspoken about that. I think he'd be very interested in the NFT art space, Froman says, because of the Cobain ethos or whatever. Like, I was there for Kurt Cobain. If you want to honor him... You offer each one of these individual photos for like $5 a piece to real Nirvana fans, to actual people. Like this was someone who was so troubled with the exact structure he's talking about using that he couldn't even like make it in this world because it was so troubling. And now you're out there like uh, using this idea that, um, you know what you think he would have liked about this at this point. Like, keep his name out of your mouth as Mm. far as what he'd like and what you'd presume he'd be into. Like, that aspect of this is just so cheap, you know? Um, And when I saw it presented like that, like, it, it made me look into the person who took these photos. And I don't want to just sit here knocking Jesse Froman. It seems like, to me this guy was like just a photographer who fell into the right fucking shoot, Mm. you know? And, and that's what is another layer of this. It's interesting to me is like, you know, I've been a part of a bunch of photo shoots and a lot of them, you show up, you're like, hi, I got hired by X and X magazine to do these photos for you today. You have no real, like you didn't hire the person they're hired by the company who's taking the photos and then they take them and say, for instance, your fucking lead singer dies the next day. This photographer who is just like randomly hired for that day, not selected by the band, not uh, often not coming in with some sort of artistic thing. Like I've literally been, especially these days with digital photography, you know, like sometimes it's like a 18 year old kid. It's just like, yeah basically snaps like 1500 photos hoping that like four of them are cool you know (laughs) like there's no like lighting and setup there's no like art to it so i'm not saying that this what this guy did because it was obviously a cool shoot and kurt was into it but um i think 
that's part of this too, is like, why does he get to capitalize on so much of this singularly? Because in reality, like, I, I don't know, was this his idea? He probably just got hired to do it. Mm. So there's, there's a bunch of layers to this that don't make it feel good to me. I don't know exactly what the Cobain estate is like, but it sounds like they would have no legal recourse to block it anyway, because they don't own these photos. So what are they going to do? Like they have to say something. Um, so I don't know. I honestly, I, 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 beyond the NFT thing, like, which again, we, we started at the beginning. I, I don't really have my, you know, like head fully around, like what it actually means. And I'm not anti or pro at this point. Um, but I found the whole presentation of it and the way it was talked about, like just kind of cheap and glossy and, and nothing about like what the artist himself would have. I mean, I guess I just told someone they shouldn't say what <laughs> the artist should think. So yeah. I shouldn't do it either, <laughs> but it feels cheap. And as a fan of the band and of him, uh, I don't know. I don't like it. Tell me how this isn't like paparazzi just selling a photo to TMZ yeah. that they got. I mean, I get like it's the like ethics. a step. It's one step above that. Basically. Right. It's like a portion of the proceeds are going to the Jed Foundation, like we said. So it's not how, what's the, what portion. Yeah. Right. Like how much is you know like how, yeah. Why don't you tell us what portion? You know, like that could be like. You know, that could be a Spotify portion. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I feel feel like all of the proceeds of this should go to suicide prevention and stuff like that. But also, it's a tough time. You know, we've talked about in the yeah. past how, how, you know, it's hard to get a gallery with the world kind of reopening again. It should so- be mentioned, this guy already did a book, too, in 2014. Oh, yeah. He already published a book with these photos, you know? So... This is the second. It's like uh, it's he's like he's dipping. always looking to like make money off the shoot. Now yeah. he just has a new medium <laughs> in which to make money off of it. You know. I mean, that's all any of this digital stuff is anyway. I mean, like, oh, you're popular on YouTube. Be popular on TikTok. Be popular on Instagram. It's just kicking the stone down the road, really. And I mean, we're guilty yeah. of it too, trying to be everywhere at one time. So, hey gotta do what you gotta do out here yeah so right out here for a pimp you know (laughs) so this week dj khaled dropped a snippet of visuals for his latest track sorry not sorry the track features both jay-z and nas the pair of rap deities haven't linked up on a song since magna carta holy grail's bbc in 2013 it's hard to not to forget the days when they went back and forth with each other over takeover and ether great diss tracks in the early 2000s in the past couple years you know hope's kind of stepped on nas release dates and that's the outside public kind of put oh are they feuding again uh he did bring nas up on stage at the reopening show show at webster hall in 2019 so benny it's amazing what time and age does for people but what do you make these two back together creating again almost being collaborators at this point money lots of money (laughs) (laughs) yeah who's who's making the most money selling songs right now it's fucking dj khalid like so i think i think he understands like as well as anyone everything you're talking about you know that there's a uh been a cultural background to Jay-Z and Nas for a long time. Um, I mean, I think a lot of that was made by people that weren't them because they represent two separate generations of hip hop in New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you find a lot of people who look more like me um, as far as their age goes um, that will be like, you know, Nas is like real, like New York hip hop. And Jay-Z is like fine, (laughs) which is kind of how I think. (laughs) So I think a lot of this just had to do with like, you know, the, uh, the aggregators and like all the people feeding this thing for so long. They've obviously made an effort to show people that they don't really care, you know? Um, but that being said, DJ Khalid's smart, Yeah, you know, all he does is like produce other people's tracks, make these tracks that are absolute enormous hits. And he knows that there'll be like a whole, you know, news cycle around this. So, um, I think that, uh, sorry, I was not expecting a lawnmower to show up right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's smart, but I gotta say, what would you think of the little bit sample of the song? I wasn't that into it. I like the idea because the visual version that they released on, on Instagram is DJ Khaled, Nas, and Jay-Z sitting around a roulette table, and you gotta assume Vegas, smoking cigars. That just makes you feel good. I mean, the song may not be good, but like I, that, that visual, yeah. it's been tough times. That, that just made me feel good. Wouldn't it be nice every once in a while to see guys like that, though, like a little humbled? You know, is it the right time to watch like three millionaires smoking cigars and tuxedos? Oh, hold on. Like, I don't give a shit about that right now. Like, this is where hip hop culture. I love it. It's yeah. a great thing. But, you know, this is the time, DJ Khalid, to maybe you know, fucking say something. We have to do this right now, you know, popping bubblies and, and smoking cigars and in tuxedos. I mean, to be fair, I think Beyonce has humbled the heck out of Jay-Z. So I don't think Jay-Z we need to worry <laughs> about here. He's kind of, you know, we saw him at the Grammys being the man behind the woman, uh, which, you know, that's that's perfectly great. But it just, you know, him, him just sitting there subdued, almost acting like royalty. I don't know. Lemonade really took, I think, a big chunk <laughs> out of the Jay-Z armor. So he, he's been humbled. Nas, I mean, like, life's kind of been up and down for him but if, if you're dj Khaled, it's like man you, you made it he's probably the most optimistic guy on the internet it's fun nas has become like some like east coast version of snoop at this point like yeah yeah nas is just like he's taken on the old dad role yeah. like pretty good like he doesn't care about any of this anymore yeah he makes that pretty clear when he talks at this point he's just making music he's just trying to be nas I don't think he's sweating it too hard these days. I think he got a call and he heard like an extra zero that he's not used to seeing these days. <laughs> I just love these guys getting older, knowing that life's been good to them, you know, and, and they got a lot of money. Are you seeing this as kind of like, am I seeing this wrong? I'm seeing it as a flex. Are you seeing it as kind of like a rat pack sort of thing? Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that like, look that, at these guys getting older, classy. Like that's that what the video deal. wants you to make. It seemed like they've been chasing this since I think like the 2005, 2006 Grammys that like Jay-Z, Nas and all these people are like the new Rat Pack. So it's like until they come out with their own version of Ocean's Eleven, I think this is the best we're going to (laughs) get. It's true. All right, Benny, let's turn our attention to the hardwood now. 
Russell Westbrook has been absolutely on fire in the month of April. Uh, this past week, Russell Westbrook's Washington Wizards lost a game on Monday night against the San Antonio Spurs, but the guard notched his 12th triple-double of the month of April, passing Wilt Chamberlain's 1968 record for most triple-doubles in a single month. He went on to secure his 13th triple-double against the Lakers on Wednesday night. After breaking the record, he said, kind of, chipped at his doubters a little bit. It was like, I honestly believe there's no player like myself, and if people want to take me for granted, I'm sorry for them. I'm pretty sure if everybody could do it, they would do it. Mic drop. There we go. So, Benny, this record stood for 53 years. Unbelievable. Skeptics call out padding of stats. So I'll ask you, does Russ breaking Wolf's record matter to you? Yeah, it does. It matters again because – the Wizards have won 11 in the last 13 and he's him and Beal are playing him into a playoff situation. Mm. So yeah, it matters. They're winning games. It's like, it's meaningful basketball. So yes, it matters. And the things he's doing on the court are really hard. Like he said, and a (laughs) lot of people would like to do them if they could. So I don't know. Everything he said is true. And uh, again, I'm on team Russ for like the 19th time in my life when I've been on team no Russ for 18 times Mm. because he's so confusing. But this year, I do think we all maybe didn't give the situation enough benefit of the doubt. Mm. What happened in Washington? They got hit by COVID really hard early Mm. injuries, really hard early. It was a new group. So, you know, he is one of those guys that people are so fast to get on. There's this, this strange insecurity about Russ. Yeah. But like the you know first month they start to play bad, it's like oh look at Russ, empty <laughs> stat lines, you know, and and the whole conversation starts again. I, it's crazy. I think in 20 years he's going to be like the most polarizing player in history because you're going to have people telling kids he was an absolute all time great, and you're going to have other people saying. He had hollow stats and never got it done for his team. But I'd say right now that it definitely matters. They've won 11 of their last 13, and uh, it's super impressive. It's leading to wins, and maybe we didn't give them enough time to gel and put that situation together. I thought this was a playoff team preseason. Mm. I had them firmly in the playoffs in the preseason when I looked at this roster, so starting to come together. Robin Lopez is a strangely efficient player these days. And yeah, good for us, man. I'm happy to see him play again. And I'm sure something will happen in the next couple months. that will put me on the other side. (laughs) And I'm really happy for their head coach, Scott Brooks. People were ready to run this guy out of town. Now they're kind of giving him a lifeline. No, but when we did our last edition of uh, headliners and whatever the bottom liners were, Uh, We had Washington at at the bottom because they were just coming off of the whole COVID thing and stuff like that. And now, Benny, if the season were to end today, they would play the Heat. And I'm not saying I'm going to favor Washington in this, but I don't think that it's going to be a sweep. I mean, especially the way Bradley Beal's been playing. I mean, because people can want to talk about the way – uh, that Russ has been playing in the, in the month of April, but Bradley Beal's also been out of his mind too. So just a team clicking at the exact right time. You got to love what's happening in Washington right now. Yeah, I think it's great. It's great to watch, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure this will lead into your next uh, your next point. But I'm also 
very happy to see people like like Russ and Beal playing meaningful basketball right now. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, at, at Benny, that was actually a great tease because we're going to get back to the playing tournament in just a little bit. But, Benny, Dr. J is in the news, and anytime Julius Irving shows up on the timeline, Ooh. it makes me so happy. But he came in with the heat here, and not of the Miami variety, of, like, the spice take variety. So Julius Irving appeared on Chris Hayes's – ooh, Chris Hayes, man, you know – that's a Freudian slip because he keeps dodging my texts. Julius Irving <laughs> appeared on Chris Haynes' Posted Up podcast, presented by Yahoo, uh, pick, uh, and picked his all-time team and unsurprisingly leaned heavily on players from, from his generation or previous generations. His first team consisted of Jerry West, Oscar Robinson, Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain, and Bill Russell. Um, all five of those guys re- retired by 1974, so you know, kind of shows where he lies. His second team gets slightly more modern, but not by much. Uh, he's got Magic, Larry, uh, Michael Jordan, Karl Malone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, Malone of that group uh, is the most recent retiree in 2004. Not on the team, LeBron James. Let's hear from Dr. J about the decision to leave LeBron off of this list. Well, you look at, um, you know, LeBron and, you know, anybody he sort of picks with him <laughs> to be, <laughs> so, you know, playing with so many guys, the guy J, who J, J. led the charge in terms of super teams being put together. Yeah. You know, when he put together a team in Miami, he put, he mm-hmm. basically put together a team together in Cleveland as well and put together a team in Los Angeles. But he will argue that these, these super teams always existed if you look at all the championship teams they've always had two three or even sometimes four all-stars players weren't picking their own teams like when uh kareem got you know traded for four players from milwaukee to los angeles that was management's deal that wasn't that wasn't his deal and uh you know when he and magic and worthy got together hey they they got together because they traded for kareem they drafted magic the next year they already had worthy Benny, I hear a lot of jealousy in the voice of Dr. J <laughs> that he couldn't pick his own team. So, Benny, is this a case of Dr. J being like, get off my lawn? Or does Dr. J actually have a point that the modern era is kind of invalidated because the guys get to pick their own teams? Well, I mean, let's just say, like, he's allowed to have his point. Yeah. Because it's fucking Dr. J. You know, it's not somebody who, like, just, uh, you know, coming off the couch and <laughs> telling us, like, who the top ten is. You know, he leans towards, uh, you know, guys in his generation, of course, that he played with. But I think there is, like, an important thing to consider is, like, literally, Dr. J played in the ABA. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was part of the transfer to the NBA. Literally, like, this wasn't about player empowerment. There was literally no money yet. (laughs) You know, like, like he, he played in, like, Long Island for the Nets. You know, like, the kinds of stuff he was dealing with. I can imagine just through his lens and his optic, just seeing what these guys get, you probably have to be a very humble and comfortable character to not have any jealousy for it. You know what I mean? Just imagine with Dr. J, like he's one of the most iconic NBA players in history. And his course through the NBA was so much more like taxing, and hardcore and lower class 
yeah. than what these guys are dealing with now. So I, I want to give them a little, a little benefit of the doubt for that. Like mm. it's hard when you're watching people make $200 million contracts, like mar like semi marginal players getting yeah. these, like, you know, money that the superstars of his age couldn't even dream of. So give him a little credit there. Um, there are a lot of omissions from this list. And as usual, hmm. if you want to start putting people in, mm -hmm. you got to start out. taking people off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no Kobe on this list. Mm. There's no Shaq on this list. Uh, there's no Jerry West on this list. Jerry West you is know, on the list. Oh, is West yeah, on the yeah, list? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, the, the point is like, you know, who are you taking? You take Elgin Baylor off. You take Carl Malone off. So good for you. You're taking other Hall of Fame players off <laughs> to put another Hall of Fame player on. It's his list. He's allowed to have it. But I don't agree with it. <laughs> and yes, I think it's rooted in some form of jealousy. But I want to give him a little, like I said, a little benefit of the doubt for that. Because, I, you know, I'm a weak man, too. <laughs> If I was in Dr. J's situation, there's no way I wouldn't have some jealousy right, about yeah. it. You know, come on. <laughs> what is he, the fucking Dalai Lama? You know, I mean, I would so much rather be like, if you had to pick someone's career, I would rather be LeBron over Michael. And in like the sense where it's like, I would rather have the world, the complete world that LeBron is in right now over where Michael Jordan was in, in his prime. I'm talking off the court. I'm talking business while still having the on court and being able to take care of your body the way he is. So like I a hundred percent get the jealousy of the era and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, that's the reason why Bill Russell walks around mad at the world outside of the fact that he, he had to deal with all that racism in Boston and all of the civil rights stuff that he was very much a leader in. Um, but you know, you look at these guys and you're like, man, I got you paid so hard. You know? And, yeah. and I mean, look at him and like magic. I mean, like magic had to make it in like the business sense, like after and stuff like that. Right. So I get the jealousy here, but Benny getting back to this list, I got to ask you, let me ask yeah, you yeah. one simple question. Mm -hmm. Okay. And maybe we could determine all of this because LeBron takes a lot of shit for the super teams, right? Mm -hmm. Do the 2006-2007 Cleveland Cavaliers make the NBA Finals if it's Dr. J instead of LeBron James? Where his teammates were, you know, Booby Gibson. I mean, are we trying to... Silgauskas. Are we trying to Larry go Hughes. for the who is better, Michael or LeBron or, or, or Dr. J? Because, I mean, well, I think I, I would I'm have to go with LeBron there. Take, take every member of that list right. that we just said and use that as the barometer. I think... Is Carl Malone in the finals? No, but I, 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 think, I think that there's three guys there. I think... LeBron, Magic, and Michael are all taking the, the that team to the final. Larry Bird, I think he needs a, a little bit of help to get there. Oh, I don't know about that. I Dude, think Bird, look at I the think team. Like, he never played on a bad team. I, I, I'm not trying to I mean, slander Larry, Larry Bird, but neither did Magic. Magic never played the, on a bad here, team. Now either. we're getting into the murky sauce <laughs> of why you should never take this conversation that seriously because it's impossible to gauge, you know? <laughs> Benny, you have just, oh, man, all of my senses of sports talk radio. Call <laughs> us up, 888. <laughs> I oh, heard Windhorse did someone else like <laughs> like sound like petulant children on a podcast the other day talking oh, about this stuff. Oh, yeah. 
another guy that won't return my text. But that's okay. That's okay. You know, I'm not bitter <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, Yo, no, I, I think... won't forget about it, Windhorse. <laughs> no, no. Windhorse is great. It's the guy he was fighting with. Um, no, but I think <laughs> clearly on this list, it's safe to say take out Carmelo, put in LeBron James, and I don't think anybody has a problem with this list at all. No, I don't. Unless the people of Utah, but they've got such a good team right now that they have nothing to be upset about. Uh, all right, Benny, we're going to get back to the play-in tournament. We're down to about the last 10 games of the regular season. Man, that kind of flew, really. I mean, uh, so the play-in tournament field is getting clear. It keeps looking like teams like Golden State and Washington, who we talked about before, are not throwing in the towel because they have a chance to actually make the playoffs. Uh, teams in the top four aren't resting guys as much because, you know, you don't want to fall down too far and you kind of want to keep keep the seating even. Has the NBA figured out their load management problem when with the play-in tournament? And is this good for the league? Um, I mean, I don't know if they figured out that part of it, the, the, the first part you said. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, we still have Kawhi. so many issues. <laughs> but again, like... This season, I'm not willing to use as the Barone, predictor yeah. for the future because, you know, it's still the fucking COVID season, you know, and mm. everybody forgets that. And we can't determine health based on this season, you know. Um, do I think the NBA fell into something great with the play-in tournament? Yes, <laughs> I do. Mm -hmm. I think this whole thing is uh, phenomenal for the league. I mean, even think now, like, we're less than three weeks to the end of the season, right? Mm -hmm. There's only four teams that are in total tank mode. Yeah. The Wolves, the Rockets, the Pistons, and the Magic. Mm -hmm. They're the only ones, only four out of the entire league. I would make the case that the Thunder, the Kings, and the Cavs <laughs> are right on the border, and they're about to be in full tank mode. Mm -hmm. But I look through the standings, and still, based on the records – you know, three years ago, there would be 12 to 13 teams in full tank mode right now. Right. So we're talking about like, you know, the, half the league playing meaningless basketball for the last three weeks. And now it's not. And on top of that, you have this extra wrinkle with uh, your Dallas's and Portland's mm -hmm. and Boston and Miami's and, and Atlanta kind of vying for this 6-7 because of how badly people do not want to play in the play-in games. So I think it's adding a whole a whole separate wrinkle to um, to the playoff structure, and I do think it's really, really helping the tanking issue. And it's almost like what our European listeners love about soccer. It, it, it almost feels like promotion and relegation here. It's like, oh, like the Lakers are two games out of the play-in tournament with 10 games to go. Uh, you have a, a – yeah, it's like thing, things could happen and your, your dream of repeating could be over in a matter of weeks. Um, I think that yeah. this is a great thing. It's way better than the mid-season tournament that they were trying to throw yes. around. And I honestly think that the play-in tournament is here to stay. All right, Benny, final story today. And this is a tune-up sweet spot. It combines a couple things we love. We love basketball on the tune-up. We love New Jersey on the tune-up. And we love, you know, the Sopranos movies. Hey, Parmesan. Hey, hey. <laughs> so... It was recently revealed that the late James Gandolfini actually played his legendary character, Tony Soprano, one more time in a lost video made to lure LeBron James to the New York Knicks in 2010. Um, this was revealed on the great podcast, 
shattered hope heartbreak and the new york knicks um they revealed that while teams across the country were vying for lebron to come play for their team uh the knicks made a star-studded push push uh where they got james gandolfini and edie falco to reprise their roles in a video the premise for the video was that the sopranos were a friend of the james family and that they were going to find him a place to live which was ultimately Madison Square Garden, MSG, the Mecca. <laughs> Benny, this to me shows how out of touch the Knicks were in 2010 when they're going up against Pat Riley and South Beach and being like, look at all this, blah, 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 blah. And they're out here pushing James Gandolfini sitting courtside as a reason to come play for the Knicks. But what do you make of this whole thing? Do you like this from the Knicks? I mean... Uh, so this is a tough one because like if it was any other team doing something like this i'd kill them for it yeah i'd be like it's so dumb why are you doing this waste of time you need to make a basketball pitch you got to give people like lebron james a reason like he already knows new york is fucking cool you know what i mean he doesn't need stuff like that but then this is like one of the last fate this is like the last tony soprano video right Mm mm-hmm so, I mean, it's special, yeah. <laughs> like like beyond it even being for LeBron James, you got to see Gandolfini reprise S- S- Tony Soprano one mm. more time. So simply for that fact, I appreciate that the Knicks did it. Mm. As far as it being used to lure LeBron James to Madison Square Garden, super dumb shit <laughs> that, that like maybe would have never worked. But I'm glad that I got this reprisal of Tony Soprano because of it. A couple of things I'm not happy with with this. Uh-oh. There was a basketball team in New Jersey at one point. It was not the sure New York was. Knicks. Sure was. Um, and I know in 2010 the Nets were not getting free agents. Um, I know. would assume that Tony Soprano and was his crew a Knicks man? had the waste contracts for the Meadowlands. Oh. You know, <laughs> so so they were probably Nets fans, I'd imagine. And though I would imagine. James Dolan and what's his band? The Straight Shots were probably played a couple of uh, Sunday dinners at the Soprano household, <laughs> yeah, birthday yeah, yeah. parties, stuff uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. But no, this is terrible. If you're going to do this, the fact that the Nets didn't have the kind of pull to pull this off in 2010 makes me sad. It just does. But, you know, this kind of also got me thinking here, Benny, which fictional character character would you want to recruit you to a team? Of any show ever, which character would you want? Yeah, you know, you brought this up earlier today. I've been thinking about it. Um, So I got to split it up between contemporary and historical, Mm. you know, and I'd say the person who could probably pitch me the best right now is Ted Lasso. Mm. You know, I think I'd love to go play for Ted. (laughs) You know, spirited energy. I think uh, his his reprisal would... uh, Jason Sudeikis could get me going and make me feel good about what I'm doing. I think maybe like a Ron Swanson pitch could be fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think that one would be good. Then I was thinking back historically, I was like, I really, I used to love Martin. <laughs> and I was like, if I don't think I could ever say no to Martin if he like wanted me to do something. And then another character like that is the Fresh Prince. Mm. But, but, if they were used today, it would be one of my biggest pet peeves 
which is trying to make older people look like they're younger characters. Yeah. Like the entire reason I can't watch Better Call Saul <laughs> is because I'm supposed to be watching a prequel with people who are significantly older than they were in Breaking Bad. Like it, I can't, I can't, yeah. it, my brain doesn't allow me to go there. So because of how old Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are looking these days, I don't think I could use them. Jerry Seinfeld kind of looks exactly the same as he did during Seinfeld. Uh, (laughs) So maybe he could give me a pitch. But then I thought of the one person that I could never say no to for a mixture of being cool and terrifying. And it would be Omar Little from The Wire. Mm, Like if Omar made me a pitch, (laughs) I'm doing whatever, whatever Omar just said. You know, I'll go play for the Orioles. <laughs> That's definitely true. Benny, mine, I have one, and it, 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 it sticks out to me clear as day. It would be Eric Taylor, you know, the head coach from the TV show Friday Night Lights, not <laughs> okay. the movie. If he just walks in, you put the video on in the living room and was like, son, I got an opportunity for you today to change your life. I'd be like, yes, please. Where do I sign up? I'll go play for UTEP Austin or whatever the college was in that show. Um Clear as full hearts can't lose was like my like AOL away message for like, I don't know, maybe like eight years, 10 years, something like that. So Eric Taylor, Friday Night Lights, what a show. We brought up two shows, and not to go on a tangent here, we brought up The Wire, Friday Night Lights. Low-key, both of those made Michael B. Jordan a star. So well done by us. Yeah, You're going to be disappointed to know. I'm a huge Friday Night Lights, the film fan. Yeah, Love explosions in the sky. I've never once seen an episode of the show. Well... If Peacock wants to sponsor the show, I would tell you where to go watch it, but they don't sponsor, so you know, just find it online. Give us a call, Peacock. <laughs> you think Peacock's listening? I mean, you know, Mister Peacock, Mrs. Peacock, both of the Peacocks, the Peacock, the Peacock children, family. all of them want a piece of the tune-up. Let me tell you that right what now. What about the Shuttlecocks? Are the Shuttlecocks <laughs> listening? The Shuttlecocks. No? Let's see, you the Gamecocks. We're huge in South Carolina. Huge in South Carolina on fraternity and sorority road down there. I still love when you show up to Columbia and you drive down that one street and just says, welcome to cock country. (laughs) One of my favorite signs in America, I would say. That was a a big reason why a couple of friends of mine went there. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with the tune-up, you can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. Don't forget it. You can check us out on all the social platforms. See HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all over the place. If you want to follow the big man on Twitter, he is at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, and number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, just uh, put on some comfortable clothes and, and go take a stroll through cock country. You've been listening to The Tune Up. <laughs>